Good evening and welcome to episode 12 of the Third and Short podcast with our very, very special guest, uh, the one and only Jeff Reinbold. You will have seen him on Sky Sports 100%. You will have seen Jeff. He's a, an absolute pillar of the NFL Sky Sports community and we are amazed to have such an amazing person on our podcast. It's a pleasure from my point of view and I'm sure the other guys feel the same. Uh, we're just going to almost hand over straight to, to you, Jeff, if that's okay. And what we always ask people is, how did you get into NFL, particularly or American football, and where your journey's taken you? Because obviously you've got quite an extensive CV. Um, <laughs> you see all this gray, man. You see all this gray. <laughs> hey, you, know, I, I, you don't have that much time. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of miles, bro. So obviously, from the cap, you're a Raiders fan. So why Raiders? You know what? It's it's my NFL thing was kind of crazy because uh, my dad was a, a three sport college athlete at, in Mississippi and really loved baseball and that was his deal and he ended up becoming he ended up in pro baseball for about thirty years and uh, so sports was always really big in our house and um, I have three brothers and a sister and they were all athletes. And so, you know, kind of, you know, how competitive it gets when you got so many kids in a, in a, like we had, we had five kids and had a three bedroom house. So you do the math, man, <laughs> that doesn't work real good, but we, you know, it was, I, I mean, it was a great way to grow up because we, you know, we we're outside playing all the time and all that. And, uh, you know, everything, I think the biggest thing was the game is so, unique and I grew up in a like we were all over the place when I was small and then when the kids all got to about junior high age so you're about 12 uh, my mother said to my dad hey you can go do your baseball thing but I'm keeping these kids in one spot and she chose the place the town where her parents lived and that was South Bend Indiana and just kind of crazily they bought a home, a little tiny home, uh, about maybe, maybe a mile and a half off the campus at Notre Dame. And so when you grow up in South Bend and you grow up around Notre Dame and, and like, for example, I, I remember as a kid playing football in the yard with the other kids on the neighbor, in the neighborhood, and we would stop playing when Notre Dame scored a touchdown because the band, you could hear the band and the crowd. So we would all stop for a second and pretend like that was, they were, cheering, they were cheering for us. And so, you know, like, and then I, I suppose if I was like a dime store psychologist, I would say that I probably chose football because it was my thing. You know, like if I want anything I did in baseball, I was always Jim's kid. Right. Yeah. But if I did something in football, I was, you know, it was something I did by myself. And so I think probably that had something to do with it. And then, you know, like now they got all these titles, like they got, you know, ADD and, you know, all that other stuff. And I probably had all of that plus, right? Because I was one of those kids <laughs> that I never stopped. Like, I, 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 like my mother used to, I used to drive my mother crazy because I wouldn't come in. Right. I'd be out playing all day long. Anyway, um, you know, uh, <laughs> so, you know, I'm just this little hyperactive kid 
and uh, football was like, because it moved, you know, compared to baseball, which was slow and, you know, and it was, and it was physical. It was, you could tackle and you could hit and you could. And so I just realized, you know, like really, really on early on that that was really the game that I wanted to be a part of. And then um, I played high school football. I played college football. Uh, I got hurt uh, in college and, you know, I was so, like I said, I'm, I was so maladjusted. Like if it hadn't been for football, I would have never gone to school, I'm sure. And um, my senior year, we were about halfway through the season and I'm walking past the co head coach's office and he, he's, he goes, Jeffrey. And like, nobody called me Jeffrey except my mother when she was pissed at me and Jack. And so, so I, I thought, oh, you know, <laughs> like I'm going through that Rolodex in my mind where you're taking that 20 meter walk into his office to think, Oh my, what did I do? What, what am I going to have to, what am I going to have to weasel my way out of this one? Right. And, uh, and uh, he, he sat me down and he said, uh, what are you going to do when this is over? And I was like, what? And he goes, what are you going to do when you when there's no more football? And I said, what are you talking about, Jack? Like, I was like, like, it was just like dumbfounded. I, I had torn my bicep that year and, and played through a torn bicep. And um, he said, you know, this is going to end for you in six games. And you need to, you need to have, you need to have a future. You got to, there's something you've got to find. And he's the one that got me into coaching because he said, I think you should coach. And, you know, it was the best career guidance I ever got. So I went home that night where I was living and called my dad. And uh, I said, Dad, I think I know what I'm going to do with my life. <laughs> and I was like, silence on the phone, because he's like, this whacked kid, kid of mine. And uh, I said, I think I want to coach. And he said, well, son, it's, you, you know, it's, it's not that easy. You don't just, you know, it's not like working at Sears. You don't just go get a job. <laughs> and, but, so he goes through this long story on the phone, like, there's no money in it. It's hard on your family. You'll have to move all the time. There's no security. Da, 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 da. But what he was doing was being a good dad. He was trying to, you know, he, he really recognized after, you know, he was probably in his career at that time, about 20 years. And he recognized that, you know, it's not a job that you can do halfway, right? You're either in or you're not. And if you're, if you're going to be any good at it. Um, and so he was trying to make sure that I, I knew what I was, you know, knew what I was getting into. And, you know, so, I mean, I could tell you the long story version, but basically my head coach was going to leave where I went to school and go to Boston college. And he said, Jeff, I'll take you with me as a GA graduate assistant, but I don't think that's good for you. You need to get out, get on your own, create your own contact network. He said, this is a contact oriented business. You need to know people because you know, that's, that's how this thing works. I mean, I got such great advice. And so he throws this book across the table at me and it's a, like a little, probably a 300 page book and it had every school in America that played college football. And he said, 
write them letters and tell them you want to become a graduate assistant, which is the entry level position in coaching. So I wrote like 75 letters to division one schools and got 74 no's and New Mexico state sent me a letter after a while. I, I, I gotten so used to the no's like I could feel the envelope and know that it was a no because there was a one page. Thank you for your application. We'll keep it on file. Basically beat it kid. Right. So, so I picked this one up from, from New Mexico state and I can see that it's handwritten, you know, cause you can kind of see through the envelope and I see it's handwritten. So I'm like, wow. So I rip it open and the guy, the, there's that form letter again that says, thank you for your interest in New Mexico State football. However, we have no positions on our staff at this time. I can still to this day, I can read, I've read it so many times. <laughs> but the head guy wrote, his name was Gil Krieger, and he wrote on it. He said, Jeff, I don't have anything, but one of my coaches just took a job at Western Montana, right? Well, if you know anything about the geography of the United States, Montana is this huge ass state and there's like 600,000 people. It's like the fourth biggest state in America. And it's, there's like 600,000 people. There is nothing out there like jackrabbits and mule deer. And that's it. Like, and I was, gonna, I wasn't going to the university of Montana or Montana state, or I was going to Western Montana, which was in Dillon, Montana. And I couldn't even find the on the map when I started looking for it, right? But I get a hold of Coach Chris, and he he says, you know, we kind of do a phone interview kind of thing. That was in the days of virtual interviews, but it wasn't because of uh, pandemic. It's because they didn't have any money to fly you out there to interview. Right? <laughs> so, so we we talk on the phone, and he calls me back. You know, I thought it went well, and he called me back about three days later. And uh, he said, I, I, I've thought about it and I'm going to give it, I'm going to give the job to a kid that had played quarterback there. And he wanted to give back to his ex player, which I, you know, again, I understand it was great. Right. So now I'm done. I can't co I'm not going to get into coaching. So I don't know what to do. Um, so I end up starting the process of joining the Peace Corps to go bring wells to Africa, you know, water to Africa. I mean, seriously, I was ready to go. Yeah. And I was probably, you know, you got to go through a series of shots and all kinds of shit when you go there. Right. And so I'm going to, I'm going through that process and it's like July now. And I'm supposed to report to the Peace Corps in August. And <laughs> he calls me back and that, coach that he was going to hire had a young wife and she had just gotten pregnant and the coach had a chance to go get a high school coaching job and teaching job which probably paid him at that time probably 15,000 or he could go get or he could take the graduate assistant job at western montana which paid him 2,000 for the whole year right so i <laughs> my first job i made two thousand dollars for the entire year wow. <laughs> so anyway but that's how I got started in coaching. And then just all along the way, it has been one stroke of good luck after another, like the right people, you know, I got introduced to the right people, the right people said the right things. Um, and 
I've been like, you know, that was 1983. And this is 2000, you know, 20. So that's a lot of years ago. And it's been like this incredible, you know, the, the Grateful Dead, I don't know if you guys know who the dead are, but the Grateful Dead is kind of a hippie rock band from the 70s and 80s. And they have a, there's a line in a song that, and it goes, oh, what a long, strange trip it's been. And that's basically, that's my coaching life, right? <laughs> so I've been really, really fortunate, really blessed, really, really, really lucky. And uh, so many people have had such a big impact on the direction my life has gone. And, you know, the sad thing is you, you, you really, when you're young, you never think to say thank you. You know what I mean? Well, so uh, with, with how long your journey has been, what got you over to the UK to into Sky Sports? Bro, it's, it's like, <laughs> like I say, this is like, if anybody asks me, like sometimes you get young guys come to you and they go, dude, how do I get to do what you do? Right. Or how do I get to have this? Or how do I get to be at this place or whatever? I said, man, if you come into me for advice like that, you are, you're going to the wrong guy. <laughs> like, you know, and mouth state tongue had a five-year plan. I didn't think five minutes in front of what I was doing. Right. I was always so in, I never once, and this is, this, this is really <laughs> stupid, but it's, the truth so i'll be truthful with you rob ryan calls me in like 2006 i think it was and lane kiffin had just got the head coaching job at the raiders and rob calls me and he goes hey are you interested in interviewing for a job here well frick i'm a raider guy like it's like like it's like going on a pilgrimage to go to that facility right so he says now i'm just going to tell you you're not going to get the job but i think it would be good for you to come in and interview for it and go through the process and let people because it's that that's how it works right getting your name out there isn't it yeah yeah exactly so i go in and lane lane had just gotten a job and i and i sit down and i we go through this interview interview process and it's like I say, I mean, that kind of stuff just kind of happened. I, we got fired. We had a team in Las Vegas in 2004. We got fired. Or actually, we didn't get fired. The team went bankrupt at the end of the season. So I got no job. Um, I'm living in Vegas, riding a motorcycle because they took our cars back. They, you know, you, they usually give you a car when you get it. They took our cars back. So <laughs> it's it, it, the only good thing about that was in Vegas, it's at least warm, right? So I'm, I'm riding a motorcycle. I got like everything I owned, you could put in one bag. And I'm, fellas, you're going to say bullshit on this, but it's true. There was almost 20 years where I lived and everything I owned, you could put in two duffel bags. Everything, right? So I'm in Vegas, and I can't, I go, <laughs> I go and apply for, uh, for unemployment and insurance, 
and I can't get it. I'm turned down because I had only worked in the United States. I hadn't worked in the United States long enough to qualify because I've been up in Canada. And so I'm thinking, shit, I got to find a job. I got to do something. So I started doing extra work on movie and TV sets, right? <laughs> and which is, I mean, like I said, if, if we, someday I'm going to write a book and, and people are going to say, <laughs> no, man, that really, but that's what I was doing, right? Like we did this one and we're the, we're the extras, right? We're the background guys. So we're doing a, a scene about this boxer and they take us to this dingy ass boxing gym in Vegas. And they, like, my thing was, I was, I had to hit the speed bag in, you know, and then they, they told us, okay, turn around action. Right. And, I don't know who's the star of this thing because when they do the layout, when they do the, you know, where they show the set and they do, I mean, it's like the kind of walkthrough. Yeah. The star never does that. He's always got a body double do that. Right. So I don't, I just know it's going to be some black guy is, is the, is the yeah. lead on this thing. Right. <laughs> so I'm hitting the speed back. And all of a sudden, and I'm, I'm turned away from him. He comes down the stairs and he comes into the gym and he takes his robe off, which is what they told us was going to happen, right? And all of a sudden, the, this sound was like nothing I had ever heard. It was like, holy shit. And I turned around, which fucked up the whole show. I mean, the scene, <laughs> right? So the director, the director got pissed at me. But I'd never heard anybody hit a bag that hard. And I looked, I turned around, and it was Roy Jones Jr. And this is when he was at the peak of his <laughs> peak of his time, right? So shit like that just kind of kept happening, right? And I'm not <laughs> like I swear to God, my parents really thought that I was lost soul. And um, <laughs> so I get a call from my old college coach and he said Jeff what are you doing and I said I'm hanging around Vegas I'm doing this stuff on you know extra work on radio I mean television and movies and you know I, I he said what he said well don't you think you ought to get going trying to find a job and I and I said well yeah but you know he goes all right give me your you know he said give me your requirements right <laughs> so i go requirements i go i don't have any requirements like i didn't think I, I was so out of touch man i didn't even think that way anyway so i get a call from this guy galen hall who had been the head coach at florida a really really good coach one of the best coaches i've been around and he nfl europe was coming back in 95 and he was going to be one of the head coaches and initially, he was going to be the head coach in Scotland. But he, Galen had two dogs. And because Scotland's rules about importing animals were so tough, he took a job in Germany so he could get his dogs with him because they were going to make him quarantine his dogs. And they, <laughs> see, this, is kind of, this is why I love this so much, because people think that the, think that the business is like so well ironed out and organized and if you guys had any idea the crazy stuff that goes on behind <laughs> Anyway, so Galen takes the job at the Rhyme Fire, and I go to the Rhyme Fire with him, and then we come back here and play. 
And Tony Allen was the national coach for the London Monarchs at that time, right? And so, and Tony, I don't know if you guys know Tony at all, but Tony's one of the best people I've ever met. Really a really good person. I still consider him a really close friend, but he was, he's a little bit like a character on Layer Cake, right? He's one of those London guys that's, you know, he's, he never smiles. He's got, he's, he wears black everywhere he goes, you know, like, and so I'm the complete other guy to Tony, right? So we're doing a coaching thing and I'm busting his balls and about, you know, you know, if you smile, your face, it crack or something. I can't remember what I said. And he thought I was out of my mind. And, but that friendship or that relationship turned into a friendship. And then they started the, international player program in like 99 I think it was and Tony needed somebody to help him and because I was comfortable on the ground in Europe I knew my way around and I could you know speak enough to get out of trouble or into trouble in about three different <laughs> countries um they hired me to do that and so then I worked with Tony then Tony brought me to London and we worked out of the London office. And one day, uh, at that time, Fox did all the NFL broadcasts over here, right? And uh, they would use young guys. Aikman started over here. Moose Johnson started over here. Baldinger started over here. All of them. Well, Darren Woodson was supposed to do a game. And something happened and he couldn't come. And it was like on a Friday. And he couldn't get the they couldn't get the papers done fast enough to get another guy in. So I was asked, they, they came down to my office and said, Hey, you, you've done TV before. Do you mind sitting in for Darren this weekend? Because we can't get anybody else in. It'd just be a one-time thing. Don't worry. You know, no big deal. So I, I prepared, but I didn't like take it like it was an audition. Right. Like I just had fun with it. And I didn't know this story till about 10 years later, but on Monday there was somebody from Fox was here in London and he was like in his hotel room, like you do clicking through the, clicking through the things and he caught our broadcast right and so they're in this post-production meeting and they're all sitting around the table and everybody's scared to death because he's like one of the big time guys from out of town right so you know how those meetings go right everybody's now <laughs> sitting on pins and needles and, well i'm not in that meeting but i hear this i get this story 10 years later he looks at the guy who was doing the nfl at that time and he points at him and he goes who was that blonde guy you guys had this weekend? I don't know who that is. And, and the guy goes, hey, don't worry. It was just a one-time thing. We'll never have him again. You know, it's like, ah. <laughs> he's making all these excuses. And the guy goes, no, I kind of like him. Make sure he gets on again. And that's how it started. <laughs> so I never went to school. I never studied. I never auditioned. <laughs> I never. So when guys, like I said, when guys tell me, you know, I want to do what you do. No, you don't, dude. Because <laughs> <laughs> but when when, when I, you know, I had a really really good interview with Kiffin, right? Now you gotta understand. For me, like I said, for me, this is like I walk into that building and I'm thinking to myself, this is where Daryl Monica was and Jim Otto was and Freddie B and Willie Brown and Lester Hayes and Ben Davids. I mean those were the Raiders to me. Right. And those guys all were in that would have been in that building at one time. And about halfway through the interview, the door opens up 
and Mr. Davis had this guy, Al Locasal, who was kind of like his man Friday or whatever. I don't know. But he opened the door and Mr. Davis came in. Mr. Davis on oxygen at that time. And I remember, you know, I don't get impressed by stars very much or people very much. Mr. Davis was about four inches shorter than me and all, you know, shriveled up at that time. And I remember standing there going, da, 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 da. I mean, like, <laughs> it was like, wow, that's Al Davis. And it's, I can remember, like, his hand was kind of shriveled up, kind of. So as he reached to shake my hand, he was in a wheelchair and he reached to shake my hand. I was like, whoa. But so I finished the interview and Kiffin calls me into his office and he goes, um, you want to tell you that you did a great job. Uh, let me ask you a question. Do you have an agent? <laughs> <laughs> and I, said, I said, what? He goes, do you have an agent? And I went, no. I said, why would I have an agent? He goes, well, because everybody in this business at this level has an agent, you know, to negotiate your contract. I said, no. And he goes, um, so I go, you mean you negotiate a contract? And he looked at me like I was the dumbest person he ever saw. I said, he, he asked me, he goes, how much do you make? And, and I told him, I make $85,000. And he, he shook his head and he goes, you need an agent. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, well, if I give you this job, it's going to be considerable much more than $85,000. And I was like, how much? <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it, like I said, I never even thought about that stuff. I never as long as I had enough money to live, I was fine, you know, because you live yeah. on what you got, right? If you got 20000 you live on 20000 You got 200000 you live on 200000 Because to me, it never was about the – it's still it's, – it's, it's, not, it's not about the money. Like, coming over here probably doesn't make sense, you know, from a financial standpoint and all that because of the travel, time you're away from your family, all of the – you know, you got to – provide for yourself while you're here and all that stuff. So I've just about break even on the deal. But what I will tell you is the, the emotional payback and the, the, the payback that I get when I see how much, like what you guys are doing, right? How three dudes got together and said, shit, let's have a podcast. We can do it, right? Guys, 10 years ago, that would have never happened. I mean, yeah. that was so far out of the realm of, and to, and to watch Effie Abada play or watch J-Train play and realize that all those years ago when you first walked out onto a field in England and the grass was six inches long and there wasn't any lines and kids didn't have equipment and the game has come so far. And I cling to that by coming over here for this for this these two months it get it's like it rejuvenates my spirit it really does so i get way more out of it than the people get out of having me here that's awesome we, we see you very active on sort of socials and stuff which you don't you don't often get from from people sort of uh, you know your stature i know it sounds a bit weird but like like matt said we're all sort of fanboying here <laughs> when it you know we've got someone like like you on and even to just get your reply you know matt put it straight in the group and we're all like oh my god what you know what do we do next and and <laughs> it, it, it's like a, a huge thing to see and i like that like you say that that, that must be where, where 
you know, you sort of get your kicks from the fact that you're always interactive with people, even up until sort of coming on here, you're, you're tweeting people left, right and center. I, I love that. I think it's amazing. You know what? I learned that from my dad and baseball, there are a lot of baseball's a different game. Like I said, man, it's, baseball's got its own pace. It's got its own vibe. It's got its own thing. Right. And it's a beautiful game. It's not my game, but it's, I can appreciate it as a game. And there were a lot of things that I learned from my, my dad that he brought to me from baseball. And I'll tell you one of them, the biggest one that shaped my personality in my life was when I was a sophomore in high school, I, I started to get notoriety and get successful as a football player. And, you know, they start writing articles about you in the newspaper and all that kind of stuff happens. And I don't know if my dad saw me do something that I, you know, that he didn't think was the way I should do it or, he, he was trying to make a preemptive strike or what, but he, uh, he pulled me aside and he told me a story about baseball. And he said, in baseball, he said, it's really, it really bothered him when like a uh, little kid would ask for an autograph and the baseball player would just beat it, kid, you know? And so he, they, they have a saying in baseball that that kind of guy, never learns to say hello until it's time to say goodbye. And I thought, whoo, that's, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Because really, I'll tell you, fellas, and, and I'm not, this is not some self-deprecation bullshit, no phony baloney stuff. The truth of the matter is I have been just unbelievably lucky. And there are hundreds and probably thousands of guys who can do what I do and would love to have the opportunity to do what I do. And so if you don't wake up every day grateful for that, then, you know, that's not good. Yeah. You, owe it, you owe it to the game. Because really, if, and again, this is not a I, – I, I've thought my way through this. It's not a bullshit statement. Almost everything I have in my life, positive – I can attribute to football in some way, shape, or form. So when there's people out there that love the game like I love the game, then I have a responsibility to respect that, right? And so it's, it's too bad, but all too often guys don't see it that way. They yeah. see it as like somehow – here's another one. This is a great one. I love this one. I, Freaking love this baseball saying. Do you guys understand baseball at all? How it works? I'll, I'll, yeah, I've, wa I've watched the Yankees uh, a few times in New York. All right. So the other one my dad used to say all the time, he goes, that guy was born on third base and spent his whole life thinking he hit a triple. Right? <laughs> and it speaks to that same thing about be grateful for what you have. You know, appreciate people around you recognize that it's not you know like if i didn't do what i do for sky and i was just some slapdick in the odagio hotel we wouldn't be having this conversation right so it's not me it's the game it's always the game yeah, yeah. and well, it was one of the things i was going to ask i think you've already answered it was have you ever been starstruck speaking to somebody i think when you mentioned al davis there that's probably the time when you've been most starstruck maybe 
Yeah, Al Davis was, was when, in terms of speaking to somebody, because he was so much, like, again, my age guys, dudes my age, remember the American Football League and the National Football League. And ABC had one on Sunday and CBS had the other one. I think CBS was, had the other one on Sunday. And Al Davis was the owner and coach. And then eventually, he did everything at mm -hmm the Raiders and he was such a rebel and they were so out there. And I didn't realize this until later on that the Raiders uniforms and color scheme and everything Davis copied from the United States military Academy. And that uniform is one of the only uniforms that has never changed in the history of the national football league. And it, if it, let me just say this. I hope it never does because it's so iconic. And he built that. He built that whole thing, right? And he forced – he was one of the ones who forced the NFL to take the AFL teams, right? And the merger and they – you know, them winning the Super Bowl. And, I mean, it just and, – and so all of a sudden, here's slapdick me standing up at a blackboard talking about how to protect the punt. <laughs> to the guy, <laughs> damn, there invented the game. <laughs> it must be great, like said, you've come over here. The evolution of the UK game at this moment in time, how much it's grown over the years. Um, how, how have you found that, like coming oh, to the great. London games, Tottenham Stadium? I love it. I love it, man. I'm telling you, the, I, because normally during the course of our year, I can't get to a London game, right? Yeah, because we're playing. But one year, I was able to come. And I remember going to the game at Wembley and I was really, because I didn't know what to expect, right? Because my recollection of games in London was White Hart Lane and we come up on the bus, we, we roll up on the bus and they let us out and there was a pub across the street, right? <laughs> and I'm all, and I'm all dressed in, Ryan fired coaching gear and I got two free tickets to the game. So I take them over to the pub and say to the bartender, you know, here, you want these or give them out. The game's going to be at five o'clock or whatever. And the guy looked at me, he goes, it was like, what, what football? What? <laughs> and Neil and I laugh about this, but I swear to God, cause he was like a, he was like a journalist intern at that time. You could go to those games at white Hart lane. And I swear to God, you could count everybody in the stands. I swear you could. There, that's yeah. how there was nobody there. And so I'm thinking to myself, I wonder how this is really going to be, right? Is this going to be, is this going to be legit? And then we get, the closer we get to the stadium, it starts. Like every corner you see Jaguars jerseys and Bucks jerseys and Raider jerseys and Giant jerseys and Packer jerseys. And by the time we got to the stadium and we did this pregame thing in the parking lot, and it was like madhouse. I mean, it was insane. And the I think the London games are the closest you're ever going to get to a Super Bowl game. There's no other game. And I've coached in, in the Sugar Bowl. And I've coached the National Championship games and Grey Cups. And it, it is the single best football environment next to the Super Bowl I've ever experienced. Wow. I mean, we, 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 want it, we want it, but I doubt it's ever going to happen. But would you welcome a London team? Did you ever see it happen in one day? 
I think, you know what, I really thought until COVID hit, I thought we were on that, I thought we were within three years. I really, really did. When we came out of 2019, or, or 2018 probably, because 2019 COVID had reared its ugly head a little bit. But um, when we came out of 2018, with the success that we've had over here, with the amount of growth that has happened, not just ticket demand, but you know, demand for product, demand for information, demand for programming, demand. I said, I know one thing about the NFL, they, they make money, right? And if there's a money stream, they're going to they're gonna find a way to mine it to its end. And the reality of it is, there are some franchises in the United States, Jacksonville being one, that probably would be better being here, right? I mean, we have a whole weekly show as well on Sky, don't we, Jags UK Weekly? So hopefully, you never know. <laughs> I mean, it yeah, makes I mean, sense, yeah. I think it's going to be, and people have asked me this before, and I think, I think it's probably going to be a team move here rather than a, uh, rather than a expansion. Now, my, my, I'm sad to say this, but my gut tells me that because of COVID, it's probably got pushed back further on the agenda. Yeah, definitely. I think there'll be a Super Bowl over here. Ooh, now that one's probably tougher because yeah. it, it, it comes down to economics. And how are you going to how are you going to justify to the chambers of commerce and states and I mean because think about it, man. When when a Super Bowl comes to your community, right? Let's say it, the one that we had in Minnesota. Well, that's a huge, huge shot in the arm to the economy in Minneapolis, but also the state of Minnesota. So to take a Super Bowl off U.S. soil would be a real political landmine. I mean, you, they, there would have to be some serious give and get to get that done. And, you know, the NFL has been protected from um, the antitrust laws in the United States for a long time. And part of that was kind of some backroom politics that went on between Congress, congressmen and the National Football League. Do not underestimate. Do not underestimate the power of the league. <laughs> so, as we briefly touched on the Super Bowl, who's your pick at this moment in time? After this week, who is going to win the Super Bowl? Who's your pick? Well, here, here's kind of what I when I look at it, I say, okay, put your coach's hat on and recognize that the game today is different than it's ever been. And it's more quarterback dependent than it's ever been. So who are your elite quarterbacks? And you can really take that you can whittle that down to about eight. And so those would be the first eight if you start throwing people out, right? Yeah. And then you say, okay, now, offensively, who has the ability to outscore people? Well, now you can start to weed it out some more. And then – defensively it's not so much statistics in terms of defense other than scoring defense and turnovers who has a defense that is opportunistic to get turnovers and then special teams who number one's not going to screw it up by missing field goals or getting punts blocked or stuff like that but who who has the dynamic difference right so when you look at all those facets 
Kansas City's the team that you just keep coming back to. Because see, here's the thing: this is this is this is how, frankly, bad we are in the media, right? And that's not being critical; it's being op- making an observation. Okay. What was the biggest play of that game against the Dolphins? The Kansas City game. Yeah, I'd go for the thirty-yard sack. Yes. That punt return for a touchdown, because that's think about that. If they don't get that punt return, now they may have scored on that drive, but we'll never know. But anytime your special teams can score for you, statistics say, and I'm not an analytics guy, but statistics say your chance of winning is now above 85 percent. Right. Kansas City, because of how they're structured, has has the most dynamic special. They got McCole Hardman back there. He the only guy faster than him is Tyreek Hill. And so when you got those kind of playmakers, at the end of the game, when especially when Miami started to get hurt, you know, when they lost Parker and those guys. What they did at the end of that game was amazing because they got guys shit. The one kid played quarterback in the wishbone at Navy last year, and he's out playing wide receiver, right? They're, they're trying to get the, then Gasecki gets hurt and they got, it's like their JV team out there and they're scoring touchdowns. Now the coach in me says, and I said this to Neil yesterday during the broadcast, and I think it actually got on the broadcast. I do not understand at the end of the third quarter why they're not in empty and they're not in no huddle. And because Kansas city had started to gang up on him, right. They started blitzing to do yeah. and he didn't know what to do with it because he didn't know where it was coming. From. He's too young yet. Right. Yeah. But that's what I thought they put him in empty. So you could see everything where everybody was. And there was no, you can't disguise because Tony made a great comment yesterday for the one play where, uh, Sorensen was down low and they had and they had Matthew up high and then right as as uh it turned his head Sorensen ran deep so he thought he had single high and then he turned around and it was too high and he got sacked because he couldn't get he's too young yet he hasn't figured it's, it's gonna it'll come but it's, it's time well I thought that they didn't do a very good job of protecting him that way you know what I'm saying to, to put him in looks where it's easier for him but you know, that makes me say Kansas City's not unbeatable, but somebody's going to have to play a really, really good football game to beat them. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure Matt will be very happy. There's only one team that's beaten this year. He was itching to say it, so. <laughs> yeah. and you, know what? And you know what? That's a really, really good point. Let's go back and talk about that because, see, even, you know, like I was even early on in the season kind of mistaken about this. I said, okay. I kind of fell onto the traditional thought of if you're going to beat Kansas City, you got to keep Mahomes off the field. You got to run the ball. You got to control the clock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all true, right? But when you get your chances, you better get your big plays on offense. You got to create chunk plays on offense. And if you look at that Raider game, twice, once they got Sorensen and once they got Matthew in coverage, and they beat them both for big touchdown passes. That's how you're going to have to beat them. And you have to play – you can't turn it over. You know, you got to play solid special teams. You know, there's a lot of things you got to do. I mean, shit, last night Miami turned it over four times, right? 
and they sacked him three times and he still beat them. So, but they're not unbeatable. They're not an invincible team. Uh, was, uh, it, what's, is it right? I'm, I'm going to selfish sort of ladies mode here, but what is your stance on Derek Carr? I know he massively divides the fans and I'm a huge fan of Derek Carr. I, I'm, I kind of really, I really feel sorry for that kid. I, I really do. And it's funny because when David was playing quarterback for the Texans, the cars are from the Central Valley in California. And then David went to Fresno first and then got drafted in the first round and went to Houston and was going to be the face of the franchise and all that stuff. So the entire car family moved to Houston. And it just so happened that Derek was going to was a high school player in my recruiting area. So I got to watch him play. I got to, you know, talk to him and stuff as, as, a, as a young kid. He's always been the same kid. He's always been really good person, really grounded, no bullshit about him. No, you know, he, he, he's a great teammate, all that stuff. I thought before he broke his leg that he was on a trajectory to be a Brett Favre, John Elway, kind of quarterback you know maybe maybe I think he makes better decisions overall than far probably did in that time in his career because part you know nobody saw more interceptions than him in the history of football but that I think that leg injury setting back I think some of the stuff that went on in the organization setting back where they're you know rolling coaches through there all the time and and I will say this you know John Gruden and I went to high school together and um, I've known Johnny since he was 15. Um, he can be tough. I mean, he can be tough to play for, especially as a quarterback, because he has very, very high standards, right? And he's not – John has never been one to hide his emotions or hide how he feels about something. And his personality in some ways is diametrically opposite of David's – or. Derek's John's a swear guy. You know, John's a football coach's kid. His dad was a running back coach at Notre Dame when I was in high school. So he's a F this F that guy. And, and I, I don't say that negatively because I got, I'm, I got the same issue, but Carr's not that way. He's a Christian kid. And, you know, and, and so I think there was a time, there was a time early in their relationship where it was really kind of rocky because they didn't know, you know, they're kind of bumping into each other personality wise. What concerns me is when I watch, like when I watched him last night, there's so many, there's so many good things that he does. And then every once in a while you get one and you just go, where did that come from? You know, because he can make throws now. I'm, I'm telling you, if, if you just say his rate him on his arm talent, I'm going to say he's in the top, you know, 10 in the league, certainly right now. Some and he's a better than average athlete, even though he's been hurt a bunch. Um, he's a great competitor. Eric Harris, who plays for the Raiders, is a very close friend of mine, and Eric loves him. He says he's a great leader, all that stuff. But every once in a while, you just it's just like something creeps into his game, and he goes through a stretch where he it looks like he can't see, you know. But I, I think certainly 
he's good enough. He's certainly in my again in my opinion in the upper quarter of the quarterbacks in the league. Yeah, I was saying to a couple of friends last night that I also feel a bit sorry for Derek Carr because he has these times when he plays really really well and yet we can let a touchdown off three plays or something stupid. So you know, what more has he got to do to to get the stack of the W's, if you will? Well, you know, this is really an interesting time at the Raiders because. I heard, I heard Bucky Brooks say, and I really, really respect Bucky. I think he's one of the better media guys out there in terms of understanding football, right? And he, he, he made a comment that Gunther's time was – the clock was ticking on him anyway because when they went and got Marinelli last year that, you know, that, that Gunther should have been looking over his shoulder. And that's unfortunate, but – you know, because Gunther and John are good friends, you know, and that's, that's a really tough, I'm sure it was really tough for him last night to have to let him go, but um, they're just not good enough. Like, I, I, did you watch the game last night? Yeah. D- did you see the one time he, he dials up a zone blitz and the, on Taylor's long run, right? And there's nothing wrong with the call. Because it's one of those blitzes that's good if you if they run or good if they throw it, right? And what I have no idea, I still cannot tell you what in the frick the middle linebacker was doing. And then the deal, they're, they're not, their two defensive tackles aren't good enough. They're not good enough. And the guys that they got outside, Crosby is a great effort player and he makes plays just because he's so, he's such a great effort player. Pearl's never become the guy that they thought he was going to become. And so, you know, you, you got Morrill playing inside linebacker and he beat out a guy that you drafted to be the starter, you know? So, you know, they're just, they're not good enough on defense right now. And I don't care who's coaching them. They're not good enough. And, you know, you give up 200 yards rushing to the jets and then come back and give up 200 and whatever it was last night. You can't do that in the National Football League and win football games. Um, I was going to ask as well, uh, we've, we've done the Super Bowl. Who's your pick at this moment in time for the offensive rookie of the year? Obviously, it's always going to go to a quarterback, but I, I'm quite back in Justin Jefferson at the moment, but it's going to be the quarterback usually, isn't it? So You know, my call, I tell you, my call early in the year was Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and he started out on fire. But then they went and got it, Le'Veon Bell, and all of a sudden his touches went way down, right? Yeah. So he's not going to win it. Um, you know, like Herbert helped himself again last night, but he's had a couple games where he kind of fell away. Two is not, I don't think, going to have the gaudiest, the, ga- the gaudy numbers that people will want to have. Burrow was probably the favorite in my mind until he got hurt. So – you start going through it and well, you know, KJ Hamler's played well, Clay Claypool's played well, um, you know, Ruggs has played well, Judy's played well, but really Jefferson's probably played as good as anybody all in all. And that's interesting because me included, he was not rated in the top four of the receivers coming in in this class. As a matter of fact, it's interesting with him. His brother, uh, Jordan, 
played quarterback for us in Montreal in 2012. He was a quarterback at LSU. They're from a little town called Destrehan, just south of New Orleans. And uh, he came to a game. And I just remember him as this, like, 12 or 13-year-old tall, skinny little kid. And it's hard for me now <laughs> when I put on the NFL games to see, oh, my God, that's – that's Jordan's little brother. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Can I ask you from a coach's perspective, and again, selfishly from the Giants, we um, what you think of Jason Garrett as offensive coordinator for us? So we've gone from having a sort of 19th rate offense last year to, don't get me wrong, we've got no Barkley, but Goldman's done well enough to now be in 31st rated, the same wide receiving court, or not getting any separation, any yak, and a lot of people are now putting it down to a Daniel Jones regression that I'm not seeing. Um, what, what's your thoughts on the fit there? Because Judge is doing good things. Every other coach seems to be going well, obviously, apart from the Colombo, but we've made the move. Is he in a hot seat? What's your thoughts? I think, I think you know, first of all, everybody that's coaching is on the hot seat because it is the ultimate high-performance industry. It's the ultimate what-have-you-done-this-week industry. Yeah. And... You know, I know Jason very well, uh, have competed against him since he was in college. Um, he, when he was an assistant coach in Dallas and I was, I was living in Dallas, we lived very close to one another. He'd bring his dog over to the office. He really, really a good person. I think that he's a very, very intelligent guy. If you, if you know Jason at all, he's, he comes from a great football family. His dad was a lifetime coach. His brothers, John and Judd, you know, either played or coached in the NFL. Uh, he got a great football pedigree. I think right now what's happening in New York is they're going through the natural process of everybody figuring out how they all fit in and what they really are. Yeah. Um, Thomas McGay, he's on that staff, and he described Joe Judge to me as a star. That's, those are his direct words. He's a star. But Joe is also, I mean, he's got a way he wants it done, and it's going to get done that way. And I think that was, the, that was what happened with him and Mark. And uh, I, 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 I would be hopeful that they don't – make a move at the end of the year I really don't because I think when you look at the reality of it is that you know their offensive line has you know you, you I mean you go back Hernandez I think is the name the kid from uh, UTEP that they drafted yeah. real high a couple years ago he's a real good run blocker he's still learning how to be a guard and pass block they missed on Eric Flowers there have been a lot of you know, uh, they go out and get uh, solder, he opts out, right? So it's been a – and then you lose a, not just your top running back. You lose a franchise guy, right? Yeah. And you got a young quarterback who's still finding his way and, you know, receivers that are good but not great. And I think that's that's a recipe for what has gone on there. And – yeah. You know, I, I'm encouraged by the Giants. I really am. As a matter of fact, I do this little thing called Pixwise NFL and for a company called Pixwise and the, and the girl that co-hosted with me, she constantly refers to the Giants as your Giants. And I've never been a Giants fan. <laughs> but, but 
I, I do, as a football coach, I watched that team. And it was, he was in a real precarious spot about week two or three when they weren't winning. And he had just brought them through that real hard training camp. And, you know, coaches were running laps. And, you know, it was – yeah. And it could have gone either way on him. And he persevered. And it, they're coming out the other end now. And they've developed a hardness, a toughness that the New York Giants have not had in a long time. Long, and I'm talking, this is how long, I think, to parcels. Because yeah. I don't think the Giants under Coughlin were a particularly tough team. They were talented, and they, and they got hot at the right time. But Parcells Giants were physically a tough team. This Giant team is starting to get that part of their DNA. And, you know, as long as Gettleman and judge are on the same page about who they want to bring in then i think they'll continue to build on that and they'll be they'll be a better and better team going forward well you've you've done the other two teams so what what about the books are we are we going to the super bowl is brady brady's brady and arians having a little bit of a a tough time as well but it seems to be clicking in the right time and playoff bound hopefully so it's first time well, since 2007, so that's another feeling. I, I, I think that's a really interesting one because Bruce has said some things that I think are really true. You know, one of the things he said was that you can't just go get a bunch of football players, even though they're really good ones, and throw them out on the field. Yeah. And it's, it's not PE class, right? It's not recess in elementary school, right? The, the, you know, we're used to paying. I don't know if you guys do this over here, but in elementary school, you, you know, they throw, they get you out of the building for an hour. So you go out and play and run around and tire yourself out. Yeah. Right. So we would always go out and play football and you, you always wanted to pick the best team because the best team always won. Well, this ain't that no more. Right. Because they've got talent. I mean, they're, they're an incredibly talented football team. And Sometimes they don't play that way because there's they're not everybody's not on the same page yet. This has been the most wacky, crazy, disjointed, uh, distraction laden training camp preseason now into season that the NFL's ever experienced. And so now you take all those guys down there and all the, the other thing is every one of those guys has got an ego, right? <laughs> and now you got to try and fit that ego into a, you know, 50 man roster and everybody's got to know what the other guy's doing and how he's thinking. And, you know, Tom comes out of being in New England. What was he in New England? 18 years, 20, I don't know. Yeah, right. 20, yeah. And then all of a sudden he's going to come and have to learn a new terminology a new system, new reads, new people, new way to travel, new way to go to the game, new pregame routine. I mean, it's like when you start adding it up, it's freaking amazing how much it's got to changes, right? Yeah. Especially because yesterday, as well, they'll talk about the temperature. It's usually in Foxborough, it's about minus 20, and now it's like 90 degree, like 90 Fahrenheit, isn't it? So. Summer in the summer in the winter time, isn't it in Tampa? So it's you know what? I, I, it's interesting you mention that because I, I have really thought about it a lot, 
And I would not be surprised if that doesn't prolong his clear career another year or two. Because being in that warmth where you're, you know, all those, when I'm, let's face it, fellas, when, when it's cold, when it's 20 degrees outside and, you know, and I'm talking about Fahrenheit, not Celsius, but when it's three degrees Celsius outside and, and you, you know, your shoulder hurts and your knee hurts and your neck sore and they're, they're really, but when you're warm, you you tend to, your body tends to, you know, respond better. Um, you know, I love BA. Like, I wish yeah. there were more guys like him in the league. When I say that, I also recognize that he's going to say something sometimes that you might go, whoa, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I think he and Tom are trying to figure out where they, you know, how, to, how they work together, you know. Yeah. And that's a process. But – if they get the right draw in the playoffs, I can see them running really deep, even to the Super Bowl. If they get the wrong draw, I can see them out the second game. Yeah, so that's, uh, we've actually said that before, haven't we? It depends who they get if they get to the playoffs, whether yeah. they get a good win or not. And it's, I'm, I'm in awe of you, Jeff. I really am. It's been a, a pleasure um, hearing your stories and a pleasure speaking to you. Uh, if people want to catch you on Twitter, where can they follow you? Uh, Jeff underscore Reinbold uh, on Twitter. And I don't even know what my Instagram thing is. You know what, guys? Uh, I do a show. I'll do it tomorrow night. And, and we call it Coffee with the Coach. Now it's turning into Wine with the Coach because I do it at night. I used to do it in the morning. <laughs> but uh, what, what, what I want to see is a, an interactive community of NFL fans in the UK. And so I don't, I'm not, a, as you can tell, I'm not a intellectual and I'm certainly not a tech, technological intellectual, but um, we use the platform of, of Periscope because you can interact live on it, right? Yeah. So, so you know, if you guys want to jump on with that with us tomorrow night and talk about your podcast and all that stuff, that'd be cool. Yeah, well, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. he said it's, um, really is that with, is that Coachman, Jonathan Coachman? Did you say? Part it's coffee with Coach. Coffee with Coach. Yeah, and you just go to my Twitter account; it'll be up there. And then you yeah. got you just send in a question, and we'll get you on, and you guys can have at it. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. It's uh, as I said, it's been a pleasure, certainly from from my point of view, and I'm sure the two guys think the same. Likewise, uh, we'll, uh, we'll let you get to your your busy Monday evening in in London. Um, before they lock you down, I guess. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, Jeff. And thank you very much. All right, much guys, you, you're the yeah, best. Thank keep you, man. Keep doing your thing, man. Thank Brilliant. you. Thank you. Take care, All buddy. Right. Go Raiders. <laughs>